0: Tim. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing
1: really good. I'm doing really good. Yeah. Just um, uh, you know, um just sitting at home, really, and uh <laughs> you know, watching the world kind of just drift by a little bit and uh you know, um, but really looking forward to tonight.
0: Yeah. Well, you're kind of, you're in the same boat as me, really, because normally I would be out on the road touring this new book. Um yeah and you know in any given month you would be on the road with a band or you'd be in a recording studio or you'd be doing some solo stuff and instead of that as you say we're stuck at home but still trying to be creative
1: we're at home yeah i mean i've actually quite enjoyed doing a lot of interviews from from home you know um because i usually find myself getting on a train and sort of going to london maybe for like 15 minutes or something like that or you know an hour kind of interview and then it takes me about two hours to get there. So I've enjoyed that aspect of it. That's been really an amazing eye opening thing. Um, but yeah, you know, I miss the connection. But this is nice, you know, me getting to interview you
0: for a change, because I've interviewed you a couple of times um, at the Edinburgh International Book Festival, which has always been a real pleasure for me. Um, but yeah, I just thought nice for you to turn the tables. And it makes it makes you have to read one of my books tim
1: well there you go i mean how do you mean it makes me i mean i'm a <laughs>
0: fan
1: and here is that book but without further ado i've prepared something Uh-oh. so please indulge me <laughs> interview commencing at nineteen oh four pm present uh ian james rankin obe DL, FRSE, FRSL, and Detective Sergeant Timothy Allen Burgess of the Yard. Mr Rankin was informed that he could have legal representation, but let the record show that he declined. Mm. Mr Rankin, what's with all the letters after your name? Will you tell the truth, the whole truth, (laughs) and nothing but the truth?
0: Uh, I'm a I'm a novelist by trade, so the answer to that is no. I will never tell the truth. I'll always lie. <laughs> I uh, I enjoy lying. Um, the letters after the name, man, is a lot of letters there. DL is Deputy <laughs> Lieutenant, Deputy Lieutenant of the City of Edinburgh. It's um, I don't know what it is to be honest with you. F R S C Fellow Royal Society of Edinburgh, F R S L Fellow of the Royal Society of Literature. Oh, lovely. You know, so yeah. If you hang That's around a... long enough as a writer you get given stuff what can I tell you
1: and um what 30, 30 books you written?
0: yes it's over 30 books um 23 full length novels of rebus i think um and who knew man i mean when I, I was i was your age when i started this business i was in my 20s you know and um <laughs> <laughs> uh i had no idea that i was going <laughs> in the game I was 60 this year, I was back in April, in the middle of that. Wow, you
1: look great, better than ever.
0: God bless you. Yeah, it's this camera. Uh, (laughs) um, The
1: blue camera.
0: Yeah, but I turned 60, and I mean, who would have thought? Because the first book was written when I was 25, just after giving up my dreams of being a rock star. That dream lasted from when I was 19 to when I was 22. And then I thought, no, I'm going to write novels instead. Yeah, and here we are. So all worked out quite well in the end.
1: What a beautiful place. So apart from your impeccable taste in music, we also share the fact, and you touched on it a second ago, or, well, maybe you didn't, but I'm going to bring it up anyway, that we both are writers. Yep. And singers in bands.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, singing, is in my case, is putting that a little bit strongly. <laughs> uh, well. I, am, I am the vocalist and lyricist in a very occasional band called Best Picture. And um, we've not played any gigs this year for obvious reasons. And nor have we had any rehearsals or anything. So um, it's been quite frustrating. The end of last year, we had some great fun. We supported uh, a really good band called Hipsway. Hipsway were playing. They played a Christmas gig in Edinburgh and two gigs in Glasgow. It's St. Luke's. I don't know if you know St. Luke's. Great, really good music venue in Glasgow. Anyway, we and we had had a blast. It was great. And then, you know, we thought, okay, we're enjoying playing together again. Let's get back in the studio. Let's get some rehearsals in. Let's get some new songs done. Bang, COVID.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So that was the end of that little dream for us. And the last thing I did, weirdly, I think also the last, well, not the last gig I went to, but I did an event at a Johnny Cash festival in Fife, where I grew up, uh, and I did, some, I did some spoken word stuff, which was reading the, the lyrics of a really good musician friend of mine, Jackie Leaven, who is no longer with us. Um, and he was kind of Fife's answer to Johnny Cash, kind of renegade yeah. outlaw type of songwriter, um, wow. a dangerous man to be around yeah. for all kinds of reasons. But that was almost the last thing I did in terms of music was, was, was that. And when was that? That was, yeah. I think, was that the beginning of March, end of February, beginning of March? It was just before the lockdown. Actually, I went back and checked to see, because I thought, what was the last gig I went to? And the last gig I went to was in Edinburgh. And it was a um, musician called Blank Mass, Ben Pan. Yeah, Ben yes. is his real name, but he calls himself Blank Mass. Um, and he did a great show at a place called Summer Hall in Edinburgh. Uh, supported by two um, burlesque dancers. Um, yeah, and uh, it was an interesting evening for all concerned.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's very um, kind of like... I mean, I've, I've, I've seen Blank Mass um, a couple of times, it, it, and it's, you know, it, it just... It's like layers and layers upon yeah. layers. Like, you know, it just takes you... When you think it's, you know, not going to take you any further, it takes you... You know, it's just... It's yeah
0: builds and builds and builds and builds build, build, and he's got this build, great yeah. great light show and film show that he that he puts on um as yeah. well and in fact um excitingly he's just been shortlisted for the scottish album of the year award for his last um, album so that's good news
1: I'm that. yeah i'm aware of that been doing, i'm um, going to be doing listening parties for scottish music. that's award. right
0: i've forgotten that you're doing a whole you're doing listening parties for the scottish album of the year more power to you man yeah. i think that for me has got me through lockdown your listening parties really have got me through lockdown. I don't manage to get to all of them, or by any means even half of them, but I always really enjoy it when I happen on one, and um, it's even more special, of course, if you're playing the album at the same time um, yeah, as the sure. guest is listening along to it. But you've had some absolute standouts. Uh, what's been your favourite so far, or is that is that a bad question? Is that like saying who's your favourite child? Uh, it's
1: like asking what's your favourite book, you know, uh, it's, uh, that you've written. It's it's It's... it's Very much, I can't say, because the most important thing, the thing that i found the most important is that whoever is involved and makes the most of it is the best one. It's, Mm. you know, everyone who's been involved has wanted to do it, but some people just take to it. And, you know, Gary Kemp was an exception. Absolutely blew my mind, you know, reading that he wrote True in his mum's council house. He was 20 two years old and, and his brother was 21 or something like that they lived with their mom and they were the only audience that he had and it's just like a spine tingling stuff mm-hmm. you know and um Gordon Raphael uh, talking about Strokes first album it was just like you know just amazing um uh, but you know I'm, I'm really it, it's helped me through uh this whole thing too uh, you know it's been very helpful to me because I've had something to focus on a lot, a lot mm. more to focus on which I kind of thrive on
0: that. So, well, um, I mean, I, you know, in in general, music's been what has been getting me through this. You know, I mean, yeah, I, it, I, it was, you know, people say oh, it must have been it's tough being in lockdown. A novelist, if they're writing a book, is basically in lockdown anyway. Yeah, yeah. And this yeah. book, the first draft of this new book, was pretty much all written just before the lockdown, and the second and third drafts, the edits, the proofreading, all happened during lockdown. And it was great in inverted commas because I you know I had nothing else to focus on. I had nothing taking my attention away from the book. I could just zone in completely on me and the book. Do you, do you think it made, do you think it made
1: a difference? do you think it um, yeah. you know that's interesting to, to, to me because the, it did
0: I think I think it did I think um, because I could focus on it for that length of time, I had no tours, no commitments, no interviews, no nothing. Um, it, it, it just meant I was in the zone constantly. And also, also, the book became my escape from COVID.
1: Wow. Because in
0: that book, my character goes away up to the north of Scotland. Um, There's people having adventures. And all the time I was living in that book, I wasn't living in my tiny little flat in Edinburgh. So it was, it took me back to the very beginning of my life as a writer. When I was a kid, I'd be sitting in, I had a six foot by six foot bedroom in my parents' council house in Carden Den, a little mining village in Fife. In that six by six space with a single bed, um, I could go anywhere using my imagination and yeah. writing stuff down. I would write stories about spacemen and cowboys and Indians and, and all kinds of stuff. And I could have all these adventures in my head that took me away from that environment and I could yeah. explore space. And it took me back, writing this book took me back to that sense of escapism, I think. Writing was no longer a job. It was back to that kind of pure essence of storytelling. And it was cathartic. It was a way of actually dealing with the situation as well, Um, as well as kind of hiding from it, hiding from it by being inside this fictional world, but also kind of confronting some of the issues.
1: That sounds so deep to me and resonates... In a lot of ways i mean I, I i don't know i mean i found that um one of my dreams was to live in los angeles and i lived there and it was an, an incredible experience but i found that my writing became more concentrated and more like it was when i was 21 when i moved back to somewhere that didn't have as much know kind of like um Mm. outside other things going on basically so i could just kind of like just live a kind of like almost like normal life or something very low-key and i felt that my writing songwriting got better because i was always trying to dream about something better than was actually going on in my own surroundings and and i so i I really kind of relate to that in a way Um,
0: yeah, I mean, it's something to say about musicians. Um, you know, you've got I mean, a lot of musicians come from lower class backgrounds. Music is a form of escape. Um, the band is yeah. your gang that you're part of. You're all part of your yeah. old mates. You're all part of this school kid gang. And then you get success and you move, you, you do something like move to LA or you start <laughs> dating a supermodel or something. And then comes the third or fourth album and you've got nothing yeah. to write about that it's going to relate to your audience you know you, it's it's kind of the, it's the oasis thing really uh, they go from singing about cigarettes and alcohol to dating supermodels and all the rest of it and living it living the high life and um, and they lose they lose that core that made them who they were to start with um and it's uh, you know when i was a writer when i started off in this game i mean it was a hobby for a long time then it became a profession um when i was first published i was actually living in uh, london I just got married and moved to London with my wife because she was a civil servant and we lived in Tottenham in a two bedroom flat in Tottenham. Um, and I was determined I didn't want to write about London. I want to keep writing about Scotland. I wanted to keep writing about Edinburgh. And I spent 10 years away, 10 years, four years in London, then six years living in rural France, living this, people think it was an idyllic life in rural France. It really wasn't idyllic, um, but still writing about Edinburgh. And then came the time to move back, having been away for 10 years, and I was worried that I wouldn't be able to write about Edinburgh when I was living in Edinburgh. I would be too close to the material, and it would cease to be fiction. It would cease to be a fictional world and would be journalism or reportage. So I was really – the first rebus novel that I wrote back in Edinburgh was a really scary one um, because I wasn't sure I could still do it when I was actually living here.
1: But yeah. it worked
0: out okay in the end.
1: Was that Not some oh Crosses?
0: No. Well, Nots and Crosses was the first one. Hang on a minute. Yeah, you've got me now. So the, when I'm I think Hanging Garden was the first one I wrote when I moved back, um, which was actually based and- on something that had happened in uh France. It was based on a um a war crime that had happened in France towards the end of World War Two. And I just had a, a an alleged Nazi war criminal living quietly in Edinburgh in the present day. And his crimes may be coming back to bite him in the backside. Oh and weirdly, God. weirdly, Tim, mm-hmm. it turned out, having written that book and published it, that there was an alleged Nazi war criminal living quietly in Edinburgh who was just being outed by a TV documentary and who was getting ready to sue the documentary makers. and then when he found out about my book, thought it was based on him. And so was preparing to sue me as well. Um, Luckily he died, he died before he could take me to court.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, When I think of The Hanging Garden, I think of the cure.
0: Um, Mm -hmm. Of course, brilliant. I mean, I mean, okay, let's say the scene, I love telling a story. Um, let's say the scene, I'm living quietly in France, southwest France, rural France, a million miles away from the music industry and the publishing industry.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm a big fan of The Cure. Yeah. And I think The Hanging Garden is a good title for a book.
1: It's brilliant.
0: But I want to go a little bit further. I want to incorporate bits of Cure songs into yeah. the book. So in the book, for example, there's a games arcade, a video arcade called Fascination Street, which is another Cure song. and I wanted to actually quote from the song The Hanging Garden in the different chapters of the book at the start of each chapter would be a little line or a a quote and I thought oh I better get permission to do that I had no idea this is pre-internet I had no idea how to go about getting permission well one of the albums I had by The Cure had The Cure fan club address on it so I wrote to the fan club I couldn't think what else to do and eventually weeks months later I get a phone call from the manager of The Cure, yeah. and she says, look, I've, I've spoken to Bob, Robert Smith, <laughs> I've spoken to Bob, uh, and he says, great, lovely, you can use the, the lyrics, that's fine, but of course there'll be a fee. Now, this was at a time when my books were not making any money. Uh, we were living on very little money in France. I said, oh, what's the fee gonna be? She said, a signed book, a signed copy to Robert Smith Amazing. when it's published. And I went, yeah, that's great, fine, thanks, bye. And I put the phone down and thought, oh, I've not got any contact details. A, I don't know her name or where she's phoning from. I've got no way of finding out what her phone number is. How am I going to get So he never got his book. He never got the book. And then when I was asked a few years ago to write a new introduction to the paperback edition, I mentioned this story. And someone showed it to Robert Smith. And he got in touch. Through my publisher he said right i want i want my book now so i went to the Amazing. shelves in my in my room and went i don't have any copies i don't have any first edition hardbacks of this book <laughs> so i had to go to a shop in london um you know who's who sell kind of rare rare and hand books and they happened to have a first edition of the hanging garden and when i told them the story they're called them um, goldsborough books great people yeah. And when I told them the story, they said, well, Luke, have that on us. You don't have to pay us for it. Just take it. So Robert Smith <laughs> did eventually get his signed book by, by or by crook.
1: Oh, good old Bob.
0: I know. Wasn't that
1: lovely? Well, I've seen it through, you know, I mean, it's like, it's quite easy to, to forget in, in your world, I'm sure, you know.
0: Well, no, I mean, not if it's someone like that. I mean, you just, you know, I've been a huge fan of The Cure since, you know, whenever never seen them live though never seen them live I I don't I'm I'm, I'm, in my advanced years now I can't do festivals I can't stand in a field for two days um and so I and and people like the Cure tend only to play big international festivals these days so I'm waiting for them to do a seated venue and if the Cure ever do play a seated venue I'll try my damnedest to get a ticket
1: I saw them in a seated venue and it was um, somewhere in Los Angeles that I've been trying to work out where it was. I thought it was the Greek theatre, but I'm told that they didn't play there. So <laughs> but I'm still, I'm still convinced it was. Um, and they played, um, I think it was Bloodflowers, Monography mm. and Disintegration.
0: Oh, yeah. And I've got the DVDs there. of that. Yeah. That was that too, it was, where they played all three albums.
1: Yeah. And it was just like, they're linked. And it's like, yeah, in the darkest most beautiful way. And and then they did an encore of the hits as well, which is, mm. you
0: know,
1: and, and seated and, and gorgeous. Wow, and Seated,
0: man, seated, you see, that's it, that's it. Because, I mean, you know, the, the, the first gig my band, to go back to Best Picture, as you know, the first gig my band ever played was at Tim Peaks, yes. um, mm-hmm. at Kendall Calling. Mm-hmm. And um, Kendall Calling is the only open air festival I've ever attended um <laughs> you know because i just don't do not do port a uh you know and just all that and, and rain and mud and wellingtons and trench I food
1: it was a little bit different I it think, was different it
0: was lovely it was a lovely boutique, boutique <laughs> you festival, definitely boutique enjoyed festival.
1: yourself yeah you I definitely it. enjoyed it that day <laughs> I really and, it was great, and it was great to see you um you know doing that as well um which i i suppose I'm not going to say it's out of your comfort zone, but it's definitely you know other people might you know it might be out of their comfort zone you know seeing seeing you doing this other thing which I think is fantastic. You it's know?
0: De- I mean it's definitely out of my comfort zone, and it reminds yeah. me it, it gives me a little bit of humility, a little bit of humility. It's,
1: it's like amazing when
0: writers, when writers get together, and I bet musicians do it as well. We never talk about the good gigs. We never talk about the great events we've done. We always talk about the really bad ones, and we often <laughs> try and do this kind of one-downmanship. Where will you know? How many people did you have? Oh, only two. Oh, I only had one came to me. You know, I once did an event and one person came, uh, and it was the uncle of the person who owns the bookstore. And I always say I can beat that. I can beat that. I once flew from Seattle, Northwest USA, to oh, I'm going to forget the name of it. Somewhere in the Southwest USA, um, and so it was like you know, it was a 2,000 mile plane trip, and then got a taxi to the bookstore and nobody came yeah yeah I was there yeah. for a solid hour and, and then back to the hotel stay the night in the hotel get back on the plane the next day and off to the next thing and I don't miss that bit of the whole book touring thing at all um but every now and again it's nice to do an event to two people you know it just reminds you yeah I mean you know you've got yeah. it's all part of the learning process it's all part of the process
1: we've all we've all we've all done it Well, Well, you've not done it for
0: quite some time, I would suggest. Uh, You know, when I've seen your band, uh, you're filling these great, lovely venues now. Seated venues, folks. Seated (laughs) venues. uh... (laughs) (laughs) I think I saw you at the Usher Hall. And I saw you at the Picture House in Edinburgh. And those, those were both nice. And we
1: DJed together
0: We did together at the Usher Hall too. I DJed. D- you came out and helped me yes, by did. the decks. Uh, I was your DJ mm-hmm. that night at the Usher Hall. That was, that was petrifying. Absolutely petrifying. That's actually one of the last things I did before lockdown. It was a, a crime book festival in Aberdeen. And they invited me along to be interviewed on stage by Phil Jupitus. And then afterwards, Phil and I did a DJ set at a club. And that was a lot of fun. Um, It was a bit weird, because when we got to the DJ set, they had put out lots of chairs. And we thought, you don't sit in rows of chairs and listen to a couple of people DJing. Uh, You want to be up and boogieing. Hopefully, you want people up (laughs) on their feet. So we had to work hard to get people up off their, you know, Scots people don't do spontaneous fun terribly well until they've had quite a lot to drink. So, trying to get these semi-sober people up on their feet dancing was not easy, but we did it. The final oh, song we played was "Heroes," Bowie. Heroes.
1: You can't go wrong with that. Can't go wrong with that. <laughs> you can't go wrong with that. I was going to say, that, you know, it, it's not—it's definitely not the records that you're playing fault because, uh, you know, I, I know your record collection. It's, um, it's, you know,
0: yeah. It's, well, it's, I mean, my old living room. You've been in my old living room. I've got a lovely photograph yeah. of you holding the Best Picture single in my old living room.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, Well, we've downsized since then. We sold that house and we've downsized big time and I had to get rid of half my record collection. Half the records and half the CDs went to the charity shops of Edinburgh. So I'm afraid it's, I'm sitting in my music room here and it's sorely depleted. Can you imagine the torture of having to get rid of, well, not having to get rid of, but deciding what you're going to keep? What, What do you need to keep?
1: It's bizarre because lately, Um, and I say lately I mean maybe over the past 10 years I've kind of changed my record collection a little bit or you know cultivated it a bit more I I enjoy that I mean there's still things there from when I was 13 years old but then there's lots of things that you know I I, I bought just off recommendations or just fancied my chances with that you know I'm not really that into so you know I can kind of cultivate it a bit and I'm enjoying that now making it a Absolutely beautiful collection, um, in my opinion, Mm. you know. It tailored to my own taste. And um, so I'm enjoying that stage of my record collecting now.
0: Um, I've got got to to during during the lockdown, because record stores weren't open um, and bands couldn't play live gigs, I was doing an awful lot of stuff online that normally I wouldn't do. I was buying a lot of band T-shirts, a lot of merch, just to keep yeah. people going i've got a lovely Spiz energy so, t-shirt i'll maybe show you later on colored by yeah. the man himself um and i was buying a lot of albums um from various retailers just to try and keep their heads above water to the extent that i would forget what i'd ordered i would bloody order it again and yeah i'm sitting yeah. here with three copies of andrew wasilik's latest album um yeah. uh, from three different retailers because i kept forgetting that i'd ordered it and i would order it again. <laughs> But also I would take a punt on stuff. So I would actually think, oh, that sounds quite interesting from the description. I'll just give it a go. I um, think taking
1: a punt is a great thing. It's just sometimes yeah. like, you know, you, you realise that 10 years later, you've still, for me, you know, <laughs> if I've not, not played it, then I, I can, you know, get rid of it. Because someone else will enjoy it more, you know.
0: Well, that's true. Um, I'm just mm-hmm. trying to think of the latest. It was one I just listened to this afternoon, and they sounded like the Beatles. Yeah. yeah. Slow Weather, Slow Weather, I've never heard of them. It's from a little, there's a little um, outfit in Glasgow called Last Night from Glasgow. And um, yeah, it's in the shiny. Uh, it's just, a, it's a f- one, two, three, four, five track EP, 45 RPM. They sound like mid-period Beatles. I'm not joking, I'm bullshitting you. Um, it's on clear vinyl. I'd never heard of them. Slow Weather, Clean Living. I'm guessing the band, yeah, the band are called Slow Weather. Anyway, just, you know.
1: Hey. Yeah, take a part so in it and
0: it's absolutely superb. Fantastic. I know. Happy days. doesn't always work out that well, but then there are, you know, there are charity shops that you can, uh, you can send them to once you're done with them.
1: I was going to ask a question.
0: Go on. <laughs> <laughs> Half an hour in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So I was at an airport in a coffee shop. The guy was cleaning up. And he spilled my coffee over me mm. and said, like all bad ideas, it seemed a good one at the time. So I scribbled it down after, you know, after getting another coffee. And um, <laughs> and I thought, um, you know, do, do you ever, and I know, I'm hoping you're gonna tell, uh, you know, a story that I've, I think you've already told me anyway, but, um, you see something and think, wow, that's a great way someone could get bumped off or, you know, commit the perfect crime or whatever. You know, it's something that you see in your everyday life that just like, bang, there's the idea.
0: You've stumped me now. Give me a tip. Which, give me a clue. Which story do you think I'm going to tell? You told me once on.
1: about two people who looked identical on a plane.
0: Oh, yeah. Maybe it wasn't a plane. No, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Two two identical brothers. Um, yeah, and you think one of them could have done a crime and, and the other one would get blamed for it. Or how do you decide who's done it? Yeah, I've not used that yet. I mean, I could, I, that's sitting in the back burner for when I, I need a, an idea for a story. So thanks for sharing that with everybody. Um, <laughs> when writers get together, they never talk about writing because we're always afraid we're going to steal each other's ideas. There's only so oh. many ideas out there. You know that, right? There's like there's only so many songs out there. There's only so many chords. Uh, I think, I, I so think two, people
1: in, two people in a room together have the same kind of like premise for an idea and it wouldn't come out the same. I mean, that's I, true.
0: I think that You'd get, I mean, I've done that way. When I, very occasionally I teach creative writing. And if I give you the opening sentence of a story, you know, you, you the second sentence, if I gave it to 12 people, the second sentence would be different for each one of them. If I gave it to a 1,000 people, the second sense would be different for each one of them. Yeah. It's like with, with, with chords. It's like with chords and notes. There's only, you know, there's 26 letters of the alphabet. There's only so many chords and so many notes. But with that seemingly finite amount, you can yeah. you can write something that's never been written before. I Isn't that phenomenal? Isn't that, I, not, I I mean that absolutely agree. phenomenal? And I, I feel
1: that, you know, if I'm in the same space, which is usually this room, um, and I have the guitar, um, I can sit in here, you know, at different times of the day, on different days of the week, and probably start off with the same chord, but the second one would be different. Absolutely, um, and it's what you come up with at that moment in time. It's like mm-hmm. the first melody or the first idea, and the second one takes you somewhere else, and it's amazing.
0: Here's a, here's the thing, though. Here's a, a, something that I'm, I've, I've always been interested in. Um, when I start a, a book, a story, I never know where it's going. And some people find that incredible, unbelievable, because a it? surely you know the end before you start. No, when I, start, when I started writing this new book, I had no idea what was going on, who might end up dead, who did it, I had no idea. I'd found out as I went. Um, and I the end product is very different from where you started. And I just wonder, when you write a song, Does the end product end up being really different from the idea, the ideal, what you thought it was going to be when you got the idea for it? And if it does end up being different, is it different in a good way?
1: Well, like you, I have no idea how it's going to end up. Um, uh, I just want to like something that I've done, right? And it's bizarre that you, you can even think that. I've written so many songs that I just wish I hadn't. (laughs) and they're in a a pile of things that I just like oh I just don't want those I mean I'm obviously I'm kind of friends with them but they're not my best friends you know so um I want to like what I've done and I get to the end of it and I don't really know um and then when I really love something it just I can add more and it just and I'm just like oh my god this is just like you know I'm going to really amp this up. I'm going to do a key change here and I'm going mm-hmm. to sing the same thing over, but twice as fast and everyone's going to love it. And, mm-hmm. and you know, and that, can, that is the pure joy. Sometimes you can settle for being very happy mm-hmm. with, with something. And uh, do, you, do you know
0: just, when you're writing it, if it's good or not, Tim? Do you know when you're writing? Because, you know, I never, I, I, I get, usually my wife says this, I get about 60, 60 pages into the book. And she'll say, how's it going? I'll say, it's shit. It's it's yeah. and every every writer I know feels this. And there's a lovely quote. The novel a is, yeah. But there's another lovely I quote a little,
1: little Iris,
0: Iris Murdoch once said, she said, every novel is the wreckage of a perfect idea. So when you wow. when you get the idea for the book, it's going to be the most amazing book ever written. And yeah. in the process of writing it, it ceases to be the perfect book because words slip away from you, ideas slip away from you. is isn't quite what you thought it was going to be. And so you start again. You start again, you try a different idea, a different book. And it's a bit like being a character in a Samuel Beckett play or a novel. You just keep on going, failing, but trying again and failing better next time.
1: Wow. That's pretty hard to take. I mean, at the beginning of COVID, I, for some reason, I just thought I've got to write. I've got to write. And it was pretty silly because um, I was promoting um, a record and um, doing the listening parties too. So I was quite, I was busy. Mm -hmm. So I didn't really need to do this, but I felt that I had to for some reason, but I couldn't. And um, I figured out lately that I just thought, well, the world stopped. So therefore, you know, there's no ideas coming my way, you know. And uh, so I just, like, but I I wrote five or six songs that I, I don't like, and now I've, everything's kind of become a bit more normal and and, and I've got about five or six songs that I really like so um I don't know what my point is but I don't know where 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 we start
0: I mean it's but it's it's been it's been if you're a writer you're a writer right I mean that's what you do I mean that's how you make sense of the world it's how you communicate with the world it's how you escape from the world into kind of fantasy land um I think
1: what I'm trying to say is that I had to get those five out of the way, no matter whether the world had stopped or whether we were in COVID or whatever, before I could move on, because there was no um, live performances. There was no, what I love most about making a record is going out and meeting new people who I'm gonna make new records with, you know, and, and you meet them just by accident backstage or at the merch stand or walking down the street and, you know, when you know you took me for a, an amazing guided tour in, in in Edinburgh the first time we met, and you know we've become friends ever since. And these are these are things that I love about making records is the the connection that you make after the records out, you know. And and, and um, so I've really missed that. So mm-hmm. to jump, I'm going to make another record, uh, another solo record, hopefully mm-hmm. pretty soon. Um, and but I miss that jump in, um, I miss that uh, socializing aspect. And um, yeah. I wonder I mean, if it's the same. Music, I
0: mean, m- much more so than being a writer, being a novelist, music is a performative act. Yeah, um, you really want to be performing. I mean, that's that's where the songs come alive, um, and that's where you get the feedback from the audience. I mean, not feedback, exactly. feedback, but you start to get you get that buzz from an audience. And even as a writer, I miss that. I miss going on tour and sitting in a big room full of people who are all getting a joke and laughing with you. You know, New Zealand it.
1: was a big place for you, right? Uh, to travel yeah. to.
0: Canada, New Zealand, Australia yeah. and all those, I, I, in fact, you know, probably right now, I would either be in the States or in New Zealand on tour, the UK tour would have finished because the book came out about three weeks ago, I would have done the UK tour, then I would have jumped to probably the States and Canada, might have then done Australia, New Zealand. Um, and you know you get that you do get that buzz when you're on the road and you get to stay in nice hotels and you know yes. read the minibar <laughs> all these all those lovely little PSs, postscripts that you get to a tour um yeah I, I do miss that and then people come up to you at the end and they tell you why they like your books you know when they are yeah. getting a book signed they say i i, I did like i like this i didn't like that i liked that one better than this one this one is my favorite blah, 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 blah. Have you thought about doing this they say have you thought about writing a story about this thing this theme this thing that happened and you go wow no great keep talking yeah it might, it might be something or it might be nothing and it yeah.
1: just it just it just sinks in your or not sinks floats in you know in your mind or your memory or
0: yeah 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 and stuff can sit in my head for a long time i mean this this new book the the big basic well one of the ideas behind it which was some you know a history of. um um to get heavy for a minute a history of internment camps in the uk specifically during world war ii when we for a period of time locked up our neighbors so we locked up anybody with a german surname an italian surname chinese japanese surname you name it they got locked away um your local ice cream vendor your local delicatessen owner put into camps and there were over a thousand of them in the uk at one point in time and the isle of man was basically a floating prison camp uh, at one time and I just thought something I'd, I'd read something about that and I'd, put, I'd cut it out of the newspaper and I'd put it in a big folder which I keep with all my ideas and scribbles you know things that I might never end up using that I've been there for years and I pulled it out and I thought this is interesting this to me resonates because of where I think the world is going now, this is September last year I thought September last year the world is a pretty dark place between Trump and Brexit and wildfires everywhere, from Australia to California, you name it, with the rise of the far right in various countries around the world, specifically in Europe, were in a pretty dark place. And that, for me, was the kind of, was, yeah, I could I could talk about that theme using this analogy of these, where people, tend, where people went in World War II, which was that we were persuaded that our friends and neighbors were suddenly the enemy. We couldn't trust them anymore. Um, And so that became the kind of catalyst for getting the book written. Um, And sometimes it's just like that. Sometimes an idea that you've had, that you've put to the back of your brain or you've put in the back burner suddenly becomes the burning idea that now you need to write about. And the gift, two gifts. One was that title, A Song for the Dark Times, which is a line by Bertolt Brecht, a playwright, uh, in one of his pieces. Will there be songs? Will, will there still be singing when the dark times come? Yes, there will be songs about the dark times. And the other one was I decided I would not set the book in the summer of 2020. I would set the book in the summer of 2019. Thank God, because if I'd set it in the summer of 2020, it would have been a very different book. There's no COVID, no COVID in this book at all. And if I'd been set in the summer of 2020, my main character who's got health issues would have been stuck in his apartment, stuck in his flat. He would not have been traveling up to the north of Scotland to get involved in a plot that revolves around prisoner of war camps and uh, internment camps in World War II. Uh, so all of that. Why did I start telling you that story? I've no idea. My great
1: questions, I think. Um, uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm, you know, we're here to talk about your book. So you know,
0: um, you know, we're not really. We're here to have a chat because we've not seen each other in ages. And because well, you know that I'm a frustrated musician, and so I love hanging out with musicians. We, we, and one, that, one of the great all, glories of
1: using,
0: yeah, I mean, one of the great glories of using music as much in the books as I have is that musicians have, like you, have become friends. And not yeah. only have I got to meet them and hang out with them and ask them lots of questions and get to know them, um, but I've also got to you know appear with them on records and such like. You know, I mean, we did a twelve-inch a, a single together where I wrote you a little short story that was set to music on the beast and it was just a lovely thing to do we did it for you did it for Oxfam it was your idea it became a yeah. fundraiser for Oxfam and then yeah. and then and I've never seen this because I've not seen you perform recently <laughs> you robot Ian yeah. <laughs> was on stage with the charlatans on their tour and I've seen uh, video, I've
1: like seen every night it. every night
0: every night and I've seen video footage of it but uh I, I For those who don't know, and some of you will be big charlatans fans and probably saw the show, um, Tim came to my house in Edinburgh to record that segment of me, and I couldn't remember three lines. He had to keep repeating the lines to me, and I'm going, I can't remember that. What am I supposed to be saying now? And I wrote the bloody lines, um, yeah, but, but, you know, yeah. hey-ho.
1: I understand that. I mean, I, I, I was asked to do some acting for, for Susan Lynch, and, you know, I, I couldn't remember one line, you know, so... <laughs> But but um, you did a, an amazing job and we put you on the screen and um, and you linked two songs, two very important songs on the album together with 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 something that you wrote, especially for the album, which was, you know, not only I mean, I thanked you mm. a lot anyway, but I mean, I thank you again. And, and it, you know, it was a very important piece, uh, um, you know, I think. And that was a really nice way of us to being able to work together I think it's, uh, it's
0: just a glory it's been glorious for me it's been one of the lovely side effects is of 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 being a writer and being a successful writer is is getting to meet and and work with musicians because yeah. you know my my time as a successful musician is long gone I had my chance when I was 19 in Fife's second best punk band as dancing <laughs> and and we blew it man we blew it
1: Look, I've you know I've seen you perform. Um, I've seen you play live <laughs> at the uh, very prestigious um, uh, Tim Peaks uh, at Oh God. We, we uh,
0: should we, listen. We should take some questions. I'm looking at oh. the sidebar here. There's lots of questions. Okay. Um, Ooh, shall I read one or two out? Save you doing so. it. Chyna
1: um, like China yeah.
0: Martins' question for Ian: Rebus and Siobhan seem to be able to commune musically. Do you see any musical overlap between Rebus and Malcolm Fox? Oh my God no um malcolm fox a character in my books has no musical taste whatsoever rebus has musical taste but it tends to end in 1975 um mm-hmm. and so siobhan clark is me siobhan clark is me telling rebus look there's more in music than 1975 or even <laughs> 75. um uh who is your rebus asked robert McCurley. Uh, who's your rebus john hannah or ken Stott? no 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 i've never watched any of the tv versions of my books because I do not want actors to interfere with my rebus. My rebus is my rebus. He lives inside my head and I live inside his. So neither Ken Stock nor John Hanna. Um, and I won't watch the TV shows because I don't want them to influence the right and the future books. So I've, I've really, I decided very early on that I wouldn't watch the TV versions. I've watched the stage play, which was fine. I was okay with that for some reason, that seemed okay. The radio plays I can listen to. And just recently during lockdown, here's the thing, um, Tim, um, just during lockdown, the National Theatre of Scotland asked me if I would do a little five or 10 minute piece um, that would that would um, relate to the lockdown, relate to COVID. And I decided I would give it to Rebus. I'd do a monologue with John Rebus. How would he cope? Because he's got COPD, he's got health issues, so he would be self-isolating during this lockdown. Um, And so I wrote a little monologue and then the National Theatre of Scotland said, oh we've given it to Brian Cox, uh, the actor from Succession, not the astrophysicist, Mm -hmm. and he's going to do it. He's willing to do it. And he was in lockdown himself in upper state New York in a cabin So he, he, he decorated the cabin behind him to look like an Edinburgh tenement kitchen. And he did, he, he did Rebus. Um, and it's online. You can see if you go to YouTube and look up Rebus Lockdown Blues. Isn't Lockdown Blues a pretty good title? Yes. Uh, if you look up Rebus Lockdown Blues, you'll see uh, Brian Cox. And actually, Brian Cox was my first... He was, I think he was the first actor I ever had in mind for Rebus. Yeah. This was at a time when I'd only ever seen him play Hannibal Lecter. He was the first on-screen Hannibal Lecter yeah. in his younger yeah, days. And he's such a big physical presence. And I just thought he would be a good Rebus. So we finally got him. Finally got him. What else have we got?
1: I'm going to read one for you. Go on. Uh, the Oxford Bar is your favourite Edinburgh bar. Give us a quick tour of bars Rebus would frequent and would case bar feature and
0: that's from andrew jones Uh, oh man it's a sad story because the oxford bar of course has been locked down ever since march and it's such a tiny tiny intimate space that social distancing just isn't possible there so although they did reopen um it was only at four tables you could have people at four tables and that was it which doesn't make it very economically viable and most of my favorite bars in edinburgh case is another case is a tiny tiny little bar lovely Bar, but social distancing is almost impossible. Um, the Royal Oak is another one. Um oh, Sandy Bells, which is a great live uh folk bar. The, yeah. These are tiny, tiny places where social distancing isn't isn't possible. And again, we've just gone into lockdown again here in Edinburgh. So the Oxford Bar haven't been open for about 10 days is shut again. Um okay. so- I think it's desperate. I think it's just it's going to be desperate. But yeah, I mean, all these lovely old bars and little music venues, live music venues, folk bars, folk clubs um, are really desperate. They're in desperate straits and they may not survive. A lot of these places which have got a lot of history and tradition behind them uh, are just not going to survive. So my heart goes out to them. But yeah, that's a little, a little whistle stop tour of some of Rebus's favourite bars. OK, let's And a hello from lockdown Dublin, Ireland, says Andy Greenslade. <laughs> going through your writing process Ian, how do you generate a book or stories or anything similar to how you do it, Tim? How do you generate a song? We've spoken a little bit about this already, I think, Um, the notion that we make it up as we go along and uh, fly by the seat of our pants and sometimes get it right and sometimes don't get it right. I would say the one lucky thing is that I've never felt the need to throw something away completely. I just think there are times, the time is not yet right for that idea. Um, I've got, I've got, Ideas for stories that go back decades, and I've not thrown them away yet. Yeah. I think one day I might feel like writing that story, but this is not quite the time for that story. Um I've got a lovely one called Sabbath Child. I won't tell you too much about it, but it's been I pitched it to my agent probably 25 years ago, 20-25 years ago, before you were born, Tim. And <laughs> he he liked it, he loved it, and my wife liked it as well. And I tried writing it, and I just couldn't really get into it. I didn't. I wasn't feeling it. I wasn't feeling it. But I've not given up on it. It's kind of sitting there, and at some point in the future, maybe I'll feel like writing Sabbath Child. Or if you want to do the album, Tim, just feel free to yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it sounds like a good title. It sounds like a good title for well, my except Black song. Sabbath. Except- uh, I, I have a song um, that I've been trying to write since 2006 called Ploughed Fields oh, yeah. and I remember I remember saying it to um, a producer at the time that I was working with and he thought it was an awful title and I thought <laughs> okay that makes me <laughs> like it even more but except every time I go past a ploughed field it always reminds me that I've still not written that song so it's kind of a, a quite, quite yeah, a, yeah, that's quite yeah. a fun one I, don't. I know what you mean about not putting things away. I, I do have a pile of things that I don't like at this moment in time, but that's not really the song's fault. That's the situation. There you you know, go. Of, of, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know, I did, for my band, Best Picture, I did write a song. I wrote some lyrics for a song called um, In a House of Lies, which was that's meant nice. to come out and promote my book, In a House of Lies, which is now two years old and we never quite got around to it. So I've still got the lyrics sitting there and I've actually got the tune. We, I think we have got a tune, we've just never managed quite to record it, which is quite frustrating. It
1: is studio now.
0: And yeah, I know. And then when In A House of Lies, I, I told you about this event I did, um, the Cash, Johnny Cash Festival in Fife, yeah. and so I met the, the musician who was who was running the festival, a guy called Dean Owens, an Edinburgh singer-songwriter, he does Americana um, mm-hmm. stuff, and he said, a, a song for the dark times, that's a great title for a song. So he's actually gone off and done it. So, if you, again, if you go to YouTube, you'll find uh, this guy, Dean Owens, video is out there. He's done a video for it, and it, his song is called A Song for the Dark Times. And it's just lovely that you get that synergy between... Yeah. And, you know, someone's saying someone say down there, how do you write stuff? I mean, here's one. I mean, Tim said to me, would you do this thing for Oxfam? Would you do like any spoken word thing that we can set to music? And I'd been told a story... Um, by Norman Blake of Teenage Fan Club, something that happened to him involving a fairly well-known musician's ashes, which were being passed on to various musician friends of this dead musician. And this person turned up and told Norman Blake to come meet him in the pub and bring his acoustic guitar. And the guy poured some of this ash into the guitar, into the body of the guitar. Um, And so that gave me the inspiration. Norman Blake haven't told me that story. I went, that's a great idea for a story, for, a, for a, a proper short story, rather than an anecdote that you're getting told in the pub. And when Tim said, have you got any ideas? I went, this is perfect. It's a story about a musician and it happens to be a kind of true story, but we fictionalized it. We, I've put a framework around it to make it properly fictional and no longer about Norman Blake. Um, but stuff like that happens all the time. Um, you know, how do you get ideas? Ideas are coming at you all the time. It's filtering them or deciding the time is now right for that idea. And someone asked, you know, how do you, how do you um, stop editing? Um, Stephanie, yeah, Webb, what advice would you yeah. give to a would-be author? It cannot stop editing. You, I mean, the hardest thing you can do as a, as a writer is that point where you go, it's not my property anymore. Yeah. It belongs to everybody else. I've got to show it to somebody. I've got to stop and show it to somebody. And that thing I said to you early on um, about each novel is a wreckage of a perfect idea. Each, each story is incomplete. In a sense, it will never be as good as you think it can be, but you've got to let go. At some point, you've got to let go and allow the world to see it, and the world decides if it's good or not. That's you're not absolutely. The, you're true.
1: not the final arbiter. That's absolutely true. I mean, sometimes it can just be a small idea, but it can resonate and it makes it become bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's always people always talk about the only one I know, and it's like I had no. We had we didn't have even. We didn't even think about it when we wrote that song we just did it you know and then all of a sudden it was a big hit.
0: I'm going to go through a few of these I want to get through something quickly Jerry White asks about um because I've been doing stuff with Adrian Flanagan from International Teachers of Pop has anything come of anything I've written some stuff for them uh whether it's going to get recorded or not I don't know they've not been in the studio yet but I've done a kind of spoken word thing um it's about 20-30 minutes long. Um, and they're hoping to put that to music at some point. I've probably given the game away there. Uh, They probably don't want you to know that. Any particular bands that you love that Rebus would hate? Mogwai springs to mind. Um, Siobhan Clark once tried to introduce Rebus to Mogwai and she said, did you like it? And he went, yeah, the lyrics were great. I.e. he hadn't listened to it at all. Um, (laughs) And are the background photographs from a Keith Richards or Ian Rankin book signing? God bless you for noticing that. Uh, Up here, it's Keith Richards autobiography and it was published by my publisher and they phoned me up and said Ian we're having a little party for Keith in uh, London do you fancy coming down straight on the train straight I was straight down to Waverley station on the train down to London nothing's going to stop me from going to this uh, book signing and and it was a little party and he came in and that um he's book you know first photograph not much second photograph not much third photograph he's laughing like a drain you can't really see it, but um, uh, it, it was lovely to hang out with him for a few minutes, and we ended up talking about Ian Stewart, Ian Stewart, the, the sixth member of the Rolling Stones, uh, who that was from it. Fife. He was born in Fife, not too far away from me. would say the secret history of rock and roll is the history of Scots who were in bands that became very successful. Ian Stewart was one, and, um, oh, my God, I'm going to blanket now, uh, from, from the Beatles, Stu Sutcliffe. Stu Sutcliffe was yeah. born in Edinburgh. So that's a secret history of English rock and roll. Um,
1: What else have we got? um, um, There's someone here saying... Oh, did Rebus move to a
0: ground floor flat coincide with downside? Oh, yeah, Brillo. Is Brillo based on Lee Brillo from Dr. Feelgood? I wish wish that were true. I wish that Brillo the dog, Rebus's dog, was based on Lee Brillo from uh, (laughs) Dr. Feelgood. It's actually a nickname, the private eye coined for... um, uh, a journalist um I better not mention his name for legal reasons but it's Andrew Neil and um that's where I got it from so he's got this kind of almost like a Brillo pad on the top of his head and Brillo's this little wiry terrier so uh yeah so there you go uh somebody's saying Slow Weather the band I mentioned earlier are Annie Booth and Chris McCrory from Catholic Action another band I've never heard of so that's good I know that now did Rebus move to a ground floor flat coincide with my downsizing? Did? At the very start of the new book, Rebus moves to a ground floor flat because of his COPD. He can no longer manage stairs and he lives in a tenement in Edinburgh. Yes, it did pretty much coincide with my downsizing. So the first few pages where Rebus has got boxes and boxes of books and LPs and CDs and stuff is basically me having to get rid of stuff and moving into a new place. That is all absolutely true. And he is outed in the first page as a fan of Lee Child, the thriller writer, and people say, "Why is Rebus a fan of Lee Child?" Because Lee Child paid hard cash to be in the book. Um, every book, I auction off the rights to be in the book for charity. And there was a charity in, it was a charity event in St. Petersburg in Florida, and Lee Child and another um, thriller writer, um, Karen Slaughter, American thriller writer, were in this room during this charity auction and they bid against each other and bid the same amount of money, thousands of dollars to be in my next book. So that's the only reason that they get a mention is because they paid and I love doing it. I love doing it. In fact, I'm very quickly telling my favorite. I've got a couple of, I'm going to tell my favorite one. A a, a guy won, it was a, in fact, you'll enjoy this, um, Tim, because it was a music charity Um, and this guy had bid uh, in London and he'd bid to be in my next book. And the charity got in touch and said, look, I don't know about this. Here's his email. Get in touch with me. He wants to talk to you before you put him in the book. Um, and his name was Peacock Johnson. Yeah. And I went, what? So I emailed the guy and I said, look, tell me a little bit. He told me a little bit about himself. And he was <laughs> he, barely, barely legal practices he was involved in. You know, I mean, dodgy character. He had a website and he looked like, I don't know what he looked like. He looked like an Elvis shyster. I kind of slick back hair, Elvis, Las, um, Las Vegas sunglasses, uh, you know, loud Hawaiian shirt. I thought, dear God. <laughs> so I made him a gun runner, uh, a kind of gun smuggler in one of my books. And then I tried to get in touch with him to tell him how much it enjoyed making him into a character. And his website had gone and his, and his email address no longer existed. And it took me ages to track him down. And it turned out that it was actually a practical joke playing member of Bell and Sebastian, their bassist, original bassist, Stuart David, had made up this entire character, and I was led into believing he was real and he was fictitious, and Stuart then went and wrote a novel featuring this guy, and it's online, you can get it for free, you can, you can read it online, and in this novel that he wrote, um, Peacock Johnson comes to Edinburgh from Glasgow to find Inspector Rebus to help him clear his name because he's been accused of murder. (laughs) But there is no Inspector Rebus. There's only Ian Rankin. So Ian Rankin has to help him clear his name. That's quite fun.
1: Has anyone ever given you a nickname, Uptown Top Rankin, Ian Uptown Top Rankin?
0: Oh, you know, I mean, my editor used to call me that. That was one of my one of the first singles I bought, man, was Uptown <laughs> Top Ranking. I just thought, see me in me out back. You've never seen me in Me that's Alter the, Back, man. Mean, yeah, uptown Top Ranking.
1: Yeah. Oh, I know him. Yeah, yeah, of course, I know
0: him. I know. It's one of the nicer, uh, one of the nicer nicknames you could do about me, that's for sure. Um, it's why I've never been on stage with Jonathan Ross, you know. Uh, <laughs> except I have one. I so Q, I once went to the Q Awards, Q the Music yeah. Magazine, sadly no longer with us. They invited me to the Q Awards one time to give a, a songwriting prize to uh, uh Nick Cave and I went yeah. yeah yeah so I turned up and like there was Jimmy Page I was on a table with Sparks and Ian McCulloch of Echo and the Man, nice. all nice. on my table New Order with the next table over yeah, I together, that was good. And, and, and it's tw- I twigged why I'd been invited was because the master of ceremonies uh, was Jonathan Ross and he was going to have to say the name Ian Rankin and that was the only reason they'd done it. I think we still have a little laugh. Uh, <laughs> I, I, but I got up and I got to give a, an award to Nick Cave. It was phenomenal. And I got my photograph in, in queue. The, the next issue of queue was photographs from the awards do. And there's a photograph in my table. There's Sparks. There's Ian yeah. McCulloch. And you can see yeah. my ear. All you can see of me is my ear. So I carefully cut that out and had it framed. And kept
1: it. <laughs> Your best ear.
0: Yeah, No. I've been airbrushed from history as far as crime are concerned.
1: I've got some more questions. It's gone eight o'clock, man. We can't have much longer left. Um, So, okay, would a crime writer make a better criminal or detective? Discuss.
0: I think we'd make pretty lousy detectives. I mean, it's been uh, one of the saddest things that happens to me is when people get in touch. It doesn't happen often, but it's happened once or twice in my life. And they say, my son was murdered, Uh, my brother was murdered the police are at a dead end, can you help me? And they think that someone who writes crime fiction is almost like a detective themselves and we're really not. And there's actually been one or two cases in reality where crime writers have murdered their spouse thinking he could get away with it, and they haven't. They've been caught pretty early on. There was one guy, and I'm gonna forget what nationality he was, he wasn't British, but he murdered his spouse in a way that was from one of his books, thinking this was the ideal defense. Don't be ridiculous. If I killed my wife, I wouldn't do it in a in a way that was lifted entirely from one of my books. Guilty. Yeah. You know, you're going down for life, pal. Yes. You're not going away with that one. Yeah. Um, so, no, yeah. we would, would, uh, would we make good criminals? Mm. Possibly. I did once write a book, an art heist book, <laughs> not a rebus novel, but an art heist called Doors Open. And I showed it to the person who ran the National Gallery of Scotland. And he's, and it was a heist that happened at a National Gallery at their warehouse where they keep all the work they've not got room for on the walls. And he said, the problem with that book is Ian, that could happen. The way you've described that heist, it could actually happen. And when he filmed that book for television, the National Gallery would not give them permission to film in the warehouse because they were afraid somebody <laughs> might think, actually that's viable as a way of stealing art from us. So yeah, that was the end of that. And
1: my last thing, okay, so your new novel, which yes. I'm happily holding here. <laughs> and to...
0: The only unsigned copies in the UK, as far as we
1: know. <laughs> so, um, when I first saw the title, actually, um, before you know, you told me about uh, Brett, and mm-hmm. um, I was thinking Kevin Ayers. It reminded me of a song for uh, in, insane times, but that's mm-hmm. a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I love Kevin Ayers too. I'm sure you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yep. Um, anyway. It's sitting yep. at the top of the charts. Your new book is number one.
0: Yep, it is until Sunday. Let's not go there.
1: Your <laughs> book is number one. I'm sure it's the second week, but I think,
0: you, <laughs> I'm
1: sure it's the second week. Number one, let's pretend it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But it's a measure of your work, you know, being appreciated. What's your view on it? Um, best, what's your view on the best selling charts?
0: Oh, man. Um, Well, I was I was held back from getting to number one the first week of release because um, TV celebrity Richard Osman had brought a book out and it was doing absolutely gangbusters business. It's a good book. I mean, I would hate him more if it was a bad book. It's not a bad (laughs) book. It's a good book. Sadly for me, it's a good book, so I can't slag him off. Um, But then Leah, last week I leapfrogged him and I did go to number one and he was number two. So I'm quite happy about that. I'll tell you one thing, uh, Tim, I don't know about the music industry, but people seem to be buying more books than ever. During lockdown and just before lockdown and as soon as lockdown ended, people were buying masses of books. It's like, I think there's various reasons. Number one, we want a little bit of escape. Uh, Number two, we're stockpiling in case things do get very bad. Uh, And number three, we want to keep our local bookstores open. We want to keep these nice local businesses open. It's the reason I keep buying records online from record shops, is to try and keep them going. And there's a lot of love out there for these small yeah. independent, whether it's record stores like, like Rough Trade or whether it's bookshops like the ones in Edinburgh that I try and give my business to. Um, we don't want the behemoths to take over. If the behemoths take over, that's very bad for all of us because it narrows the, it narrows what's available to everybody. We know this from the from the, the lesson of economic history it will eventually narrow the amount of music or the number of books you can get access to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the charts are one thing, but, I'll, you know, the, the one thing I'll say about crime fiction crime writers is they've always been very good at reaching back down the ladder and pulling the new writers up with them. Even someone like Lee Child, a worldwide phenomenon, the number of times he gives a nice jacket quote to a new writer. Um just to give them that little bit of extra heft so they maybe make maybe they eventually make it to the top of the charts as well. It's something I've got a lot of time for is the crime writing community. The fact that crime writers, I think because we're the kids from the wrong side of the tracks.
1: Yeah, the literary, yeah, cool.
0: the literary Establishment said you're not welcome here. And we yeah. went, Well, so do you. We're going to have our own festivals, our own prizes, and we're going to help each other as much as we possibly can. So just remember that, folks, crime writing. Is the new punk
1: what do you think my chances are of writing a crime
0: why based? not why not i think if you can if you can mix music i mean we've talked about, about richard osman his brother matt osman the bass player in swede swede swede, yeah. swede um has written a phenomenal book that's a kind of mystery novel it's a big complex mystery novel in view involved in the music industry so you know, I'm
1: thinking, about, I'm thinking about you know something to do with the rider.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, death by rider. <laughs> death by rider.
1: Death from rider. Yeah.
0: There's only brown M and M's, but one of them is poisoned.
1: Exactly. And who who done it? You know. Or maybe Who's it's the gold toilet seat. The, the gold
0: toilet seat has got poison <laughs> on it. Drummer. You've done drummer. it now. Drummer. You've done it. That's it's always a drummer.
1: It's yeah. Like
0: the, did it? The but it's got to be the drummer. They've just been sitting at the back of the band for so long, they're taking revenge on the band.
1: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, the singers, sort of like, you know, it's never it. Yeah, you couldn't quite get it right. Too
0: obvious, man. It's too obvious. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. All right, man. Well, are we about wrapped up?
0: I think we are, man. Big thank you, for Rebus. I love this horrible things happening. I always love laugh out loud moment. Yeah. Oh, when can we expect a Tim Burgess cameo in one of your books? Ed <laughs> and thanks, Joy, for your question as well. A Tim Burgess cameo. I make
1: can it I happen. Make...
0: Can I make it yep. happen? Detective Inspector Burgess. Why not? <laughs> Do you, would you be a good, Would you want to be a goodie or a baddie?
1: A uh, baddie? I mean, you know, kind of yeah. like, yeah. Just uh, slip it me into that sort of like, you know, that
0: bad guy role, you know. I, yeah, I mean, I was talking a little while ago about people that pay money to be in the books, and somebody paid, and it was for their for their nephew who was uh, autistic. I think he was in his... He wasn't quite in his teens. I think he was 11 or 12. Yeah. And so I phoned him up, and I said, okay, do you want to be a good, good guy or a bad guy? I want to be a bad guy. <laughs> I want to be a bad guy. Normally, people want to be good guys. They want to be helpful or cops or something. So I yeah. made him... Um, there's a, there's a gangster in my books, Big Jer Cafferty, and I made him Big Jer Cafferty's bodyguard. And so he was very happy with that. He was very happy to be the bad guy. Wow. And I uh, know, yeah, I just love it. I love putting real people in my books. I think my dream is that soon my books will be nothing but real people. Um, there'll be no fictional characters in them at all, just people who've paid charity. <laughs> little cameos, Tim Burgess being the bad guy. Yeah, I can, I can, I mean, superhero
1: in a a superhero get out of here.
0: (laughs) Burgess man, Tim man, (laughs) charlatan, charlatan man. That'd be
1: good.
0: No, actually, you know, the charlatan is, is, is a villain of um, Batman, right? The charlatan. Is there a bad, is there a bad guy in comics called the charlatan? There must be, you know what? I've written a couple of comics in my time, Tim. Maybe that's what I'll do. Maybe I'll write you into a comic.
1: Yeah, I could see I could see me in a comic.
0: The charlatan. We'll talk about costumes later, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tim, and thanks to Rough Trade for hosting it. It has been a phenomenal yeah. hour. I've really enjoyed it. And keep making music, man. Keep not only making music, but keep keep helping people listen to music.
1: Well that's it, you've isn't been it? Doing yeah. on Twitter.
0: You've, been, you've been there's a whole community of people on Twitter who are been given an hour of escape or 40 minutes of escape from COVID because of the listening club. So just keep it going. But yeah, a new album well, soon, a new album soon, please.
1: New album soon, new book. I mean, I think, um, you know, we've got to just, yeah, just keep, keep doing it, keep doing it.
0: Keep doing it. What else can you do? It, one a year, still, still on one a year. You know what? I was on, I was on one every two years for a while because I was slowing down badly. I was on one every two years, but this year, shh, Nobody knows this year, by the end of the year, I will have written two books.
1: That's amazing. I had a, 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 a time where I just, you know, I mean, it's only a couple of months where I just didn't feel inspired at all. And, and now it's now it's happening.
0: So. Yeah. Good, man. Good.
1: Yeah, so all yeah, right. I two books,
0: two books. Imagine two albums a year. No, that's too much work. Huh? That'd be amazing. The problem is neither of us got into these games to work hard. Right.
1: Well, I just find work an amazing thing. It's not real. Well, it's not really work. It's yeah. a joyful process that I love. I love doing, you know. Uh, and um, so, yeah.
0: If it feels I, like if it feels like work, you're maybe doing something wrong. I mean, we're in we are in what would be termed creative industries, the very things the government tell us are no good, and we should begin. Being... <laughs> oh, okay. Final question, Tim Burgess. <laughs> As a, as a creative person, what would you retrain as?
1: Well, I mean, I think, you know, I've, I've retrained as a, a, as a barista. Um, um, you know, I, 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 I... Yeah, I mean, I'm so far down the road <laughs> of what I do that it would be, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, that was just, like, insane. That really rubbed me up the wrong way, that.
0: Yeah. It really, that that plus the north, the attack on the north, man, that's too bad.
1: <laughs> north, too, yeah. too bad strikes.
0: Two bad strikes against the government, right there. It's, All right,
1: it's, it's very tough, you know. But I mean, you know what, you know what it's like. You know, I know what it's like, man.
0: Cheers, folks. Take care.
1: You guys will take care.